So, this morning, we are starting a new preaching series. We've finished Ephesians, and we're going to spend a whole number of weeks, I promise, 10 or 12, 11 maybe, less, 9 or 8 weeks, in a series called Encounters with Jesus. And I, I want us over these weeks to, um, to look at stories... Thanks, Callum. That's nice of you. Um, I want us over these weeks to look at stories of uh, through the Gospels where Jesus encounters individuals and their lives are radically changed and transformed through Jesus. And in turn, that goes on to change whole families and communities and even nations. And so we're going we're gonna to just get right into who is Jesus? And who is this Jesus who many of us in this room, I trust, have placed our hope in him and we've met him and we've encountered him in our own lives. But I don't know about you, but sometimes we need refreshing in that story. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy just to do religion and do the church thing and kind of forget, actually, it's all about him. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's all about walking with him. It's all about learning from him and becoming like him and doing what Jesus did himself. Uh, A number of months ago, I think it's probably a year ago or so, Emma and I were watching the series The Chosen. And I hope some of you, who started watching The Chosen since I said about it the other week? Oh, it's, it's kind of still a bit of a poor show. Anyway, we started watching the series The Chosen. And I know it's a... uh, an adaptation of the Gospels. But I watched this series and it made me think, I don't know how well I know Jesus. And I wonder that, I know these stories of individuals and and miracles and encounters that Jesus had. I know them, but I don't know how well I know him and what he's really like. I know what he's done and what he's done for me, but do I really know him and what it's like to to meet Jesus and, and encounter his love and his compassion in such a way that There's total life transformation. And I watched it, and I I was watching this series, and as each episode went on, more and more I was thinking, I want to know Jesus afresh. I want to encounter him again, and his love, and his kindness, and his friendship and mercy in my life. And I want us as a a church family to be those who, who walk so closely with Jesus that we say, I know him. I know him. I know what he's like. I know what he's like in any and every circumstance. I know his faithfulness in my life. I know his friendship in my life. I know his presence in my life. And as I watched this series, The Chosen, I just, I just began to reimagine life with Jesus. And I, and I began to realize I have quite a two-dimensional view of Jesus so often. As he did some things and he, and he um, did some miracles and he said some amazing truths and, and things that transformed people's lives. Yet he, when we encounter Jesus, we're not just encountering Uh, truth. We are encountering truth, absolutely, but we're encountering a person. God who took on flesh, fully man and fully God, the one who, who created everything and made you and I and fully knows you. When we come to Jesus, we, we, we meet the one who fully knows you. He knows everything that you like about yourself and everything you can't stand about yourself. He knows every front that we put on and he knows every hidden recess 
of our hearts. He knows everything we've done that displays his love and kindness. And he knows every sin and every piece of evil that we've done in our life that rips and tears apart ourselves and others and the world around us. We are fully known by Jesus. And I just become more and more excited about spending time again, just looking at Jesus and how he was around people. There are some people, aren't there, who they come into the room and they sort of transform the atmosphere just by their presence. They're kind of larger than life or or, uh, just very gregarious people. And they just by their presence in a room, they can lift the room. And yet we read of Jesus that when you looked at him, there was nothing particularly special that we should desire him, that we'd think that he was anything special. He had probably a very West Country accent by all accounts. They, the guys knew where he was from. He, he's from the West Country, isn't he? By his voice. And yet the crowds longed for him. They followed him. His disciples were confused by him. And so we're going to spend some time journeying with Jesus, encountering him as he encountered others. And he started this, didn't he, with his encountering other people. 2,000 years ago, he began to go around and spot individuals who weren't particularly special, just ordinary men. And he said to them, follow me. He simply said those two words, follow me. And these guys, they gave up their livelihoods because maybe they saw something in Jesus. They were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for somebody who would free them from Roman oppression. And they just, they saw something in him maybe. And they just said, I'm going to follow this man. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to walk with him. And where he goes and where he lies down, that's going to be where I go and where I lie down. And Jesus got these 12 guys and he transformed the world through them. And we can all too easily imagine that these disciples of Jesus, these apostles of Jesus, the 12 that he picked, that they were somehow super Christians. They somehow, when they might have been ordinary guys, but the moment that Jesus picked them, they suddenly transformed into this star-studded lineup, uh, this dream team, if you like. And in a moment, we're going to read a story where we see that is far from true, even though they've already been journeying with Jesus for a while. These guys were simple men of faith who gave up everything, left their families, left the rural areas that they came from. They were farmers and fishermen, really very ordinary people. And they gave up everything to follow Jesus. And if you kind of go, well, yeah, of course the disciples. Well, there were many other instances through the Gospels where we see Jesus encounter many other ordinary people whose lives were equally radically transformed by the power and love of Jesus in their life, in their encounter with him. And each one of these stories, each one of these uh, snapshots is like a vignette. It's like a little a window in to what's it like to encounter Jesus. Now, hear my heart on this because I want to say something that I, I don't want to beat anybody up with this, but I wonder that we have forgotten what it looks like to encounter Jesus. That Jesus actually demands and wrought, he's wrought transformation in our life by his death on the cross. He hasn't asked us to do religion. He hasn't asked us to do church. He has asked us to be a follower of him and have our whole lives transformed because of his very person. 
because of his presence in our life. And I remember being a youngster in Gateway, and, and I remember often seeing people set free, lives transformed, people healed, healed from all kinds of sickness and disease. People set free from spiritual and demonic oppression. And I remember thinking, wow, there is something powerful in Jesus because people's lives are being transformed. And I, over the years, I kind of feel like I hear less and less stories. And I'm not just speaking about you guys. I'm speaking about myself. Less and less moments where it's like, wow, Jesus has transformed my life. I once was like this, but now I'm like this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was in darkness, but now I'm in the light. I once was in chains and shackled, but now I'm set free. I once was a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave of Christ and his righteousness. And that looks like all kinds of stories. And I I believe that in this day that we're living in, the world needs to see a people who who have encountered Jesus. And have a story of, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Yes, we have words that we can try and reason with people and persuade people of the love of God. But also we have a God who supernaturally and powerfully brings transformation into the lives of those he encounters. So if you're here over this next however many weeks it is, but today in particular... And you're not a follower of Jesus. I want to say to you, this is an opportunity for you to encounter Jesus for the first time. And those words that he said over and over to each one, come follow me. He's saying that to you today. Today is an invitation for you to encounter Jesus for the first time. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is an opportunity again to see the power of God. God to transform your life and the life of your family and of your friends in church and and the world around you. This is an opportunity, again, to be reminded our God saves and rescues and transforms. And I feel like we need to persuade each other once again that really is what he does. He really is able to transform lives, which is brilliant what Kaz shared and then what Callum shared off the back of that. God is able and he's willing And he longs to transform us into the image of his son. To bring joy and freedom and hope and peace in every circumstance. But also for those of us here who are followers of Jesus, there's another aspect that I want this series to propel and motivate us in. And that is that actually you and I are the very body of Christ. And we too live in a world full of darkness and hopelessness and fear, and desperate, sad situations. And we go as Jesus' body, as his very people, his very presence into those situations, carrying him and his power, the same power, remember, that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that resides in you, the Holy Spirit. And we go out into a world that is full of of sadness and sickness and suffering. We're sent out. We don't just go out, we're sent out as Jesus' people, to say, hey, there is a God who is able. There's a God who is able to transform and save and rescue and redeem. And we face many situations every day, every week, when we go as Jesus' people to bring 
transformation into people's lives. Ordinary people. And so I sort of, as we've been looking at this, I sort of have a dream that each one of us, as we stop and think about Jesus, would then go out from this place into our bit of God's world. Confident that God not only is at work in your life, but he can work in and through your life into other people's lives. Confident that Jesus is the good news that every person you meet is desperately hungry for, even if they don't know it. And confident that we have a message that is good news into every situation, every place that we engage with. And so I wonder, even before we start, what it would be like if you and I spent more time encountering Jesus in our day-to-day life, being with him, getting to know him, enjoying his presence. As Jesus started his ministry, um, his earthly ministry, there were kind of two focuses to Jesus' ministry that you kind of see all the way through the Gospels. And the first was this. He came announcing the kingdom of God is here. And he demonstrated that. Jesus gave away the kingdom freely to anybody who would receive it. He didn't hold it for himself. He didn't have this big series of prerequisites that people, oh, you're good enough to be healed. You're good enough to be set free. You're okay. Jesus gave away the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, we're we're told, aren't we, in the Gospels that, um, that there's not enough books in the world to even contain all the works that Jesus did. And Jesus came giving away the kingdom freely. And then the second kind of aspect of Jesus' earthly ministry was that he came and he made disciples. He trained and taught his disciples to follow him, to be with him and and learn to do what he did. Jesus really uh, had those two aspects to, to what he was about. And so I want to, this morning, with that picture in mind, that sense of the kingdom of God in power present and training disciples, I want us to turn to um, Luke chapter 8. And we're going to read this very strange story about pigs drowning, about a demon-possessed man. Um, I recognize in our Western scientific world of atoms and microscopes and and scientific proof this doesn't really cut the grain with our way of thinking yet the bible has no problem of saying these things are are absolutely as real as the things you can look at through a test tube through a microscope these things are this the there's a spiritual fabric to life that is absolutely just as real and so we're going to read this this isn't just a this isn't just a illustration of of sort of what Jesus is like. This is a story about Jesus encountering a man who is demonically possessed. But it comes off the back of Jesus calming the storm. So let's start in Luke chapter 8, verse, uh, we'll start in um, verse 24. So the guys are in the, in the boat. Jesus is asleep. He's more than happy. He's tired. He's not worried whatsoever. And the disciples went to wake Jesus in the midst of this raging storm saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all 
was calm. And then he rebuked his disciples. Where is your faith? And he's just, he's just healed the centurion's daughter. Well, Jairus' daughter, sorry. He's just healed the centurion's daughter. And um, he said, I've not seen faith like this in Jerusalem, in Israel. And he's saying, there we go, Rob's playing it for everyone. <laughs> he's, he's saying, where's your faith? And in fear and amazement, the disciples asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, my guess is that if Luke or in Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel, if those guys were today theologians from today, they, they would want to write the answer there and then. They'd want to say, well, this man is Jesus the Son of God who took on flesh. And they just write the answer. But because these guys are uh, wanting to help us get to a deeper layer and a deeper understanding, uh, Luke and Matthew and Mark go on to tell another story to answer that question of who is this man. So verse 26. They, the disciples and Jesus, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes or Gadarene which is across from the Lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn any clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. It's interesting, isn't it, that the disciples who've been with Jesus and just see him and his supernatural power that even commands the winds and the waves ask the question, who is this man? And then Jesus meets a demon-possessed man and the demons know instantly who they're, who they're meeting. For Jesus, verse 29, had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. In the other accounts, we're told that he dwelt in, among the graveyard, basically. This man was basically a picture of the living dead. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillsides. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported in the town and countrysides. I, just, I can just imagine that. This strange picture. You're just stood there, you're a shepherd, and then suddenly you see these cows like, uh, pigs like lemmings just launching themselves off the cliff into the sea. And so, of course, you're going to go and tell people. 
And the people from the towns and villages came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from who the demons had gone out. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. So at the end of the last story, you have the disciples who are with Jesus, who are afraid. And you have the demons who are afraid and fearful of Jesus. And now you have this, the community who've heard about the power of Jesus. They've seen the power of Jesus in this one encounter with this man. And they too are afraid. There's only two people in this story who aren't afraid any longer. The first is Jesus himself, and the second is the man who was demonized, who we're told is sat, dressed, clothed for the first time in probably many, many years, and he's in his right mind. What an amazing picture. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in his boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and, uh, and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. What an amazing story. What an absolutely incredible story. I want to, this story isn't here to say, you think you've got it bad in life? You think you're struggling right now? You've got a situation, a sickness, an illness. Somebody's died in your family. You're, you're facing financial loss and ruin. Well, don't worry. There's always somebody who's got it worse than you. We often have that way of thinking, don't we, when it comes to suffering and struggle. We often, we often kind of tell ourselves, well, somebody's, I must be thankful for what I got. Somebody's got it worse than me. Well, this guy had it worse. I think this guy probably in the New Testament had it probably worse than anyone. He was naked. He was emotionally and spiritually in bondage and turmoil. He was oppressed. He was demonized. He was cut off from his community. He literally lived in the land of the dead. He, in Mark's gospel, we're told that he cut himself with stones regularly. He would be bound hand and foot, but even then those, those chains couldn't hold him, those shackles couldn't hold him. This guy had it bad. He really did. This guy was, his situation was horrific in every sense of the word. And as I said a moment ago, it was like he was the living dead. And I'm not saying that to say, well, we were just a few moments ago praying for people who are sick and, safe and facing challenging situations. So look, if God doesn't heal you, don't worry because some people have it worse. That's not why I'm saying that. This story is incredible because it says, look at how awful and tragic and hard and broken and, and oppressed and demonized life can be at times. And look at the guy who encountered Jesus and Jesus set him free. 
So the reason I'm saying that is because you may be facing sickness or financial trouble or marriage is tough right now or your children don't know Jesus or um, you've got a family member who's about to die or dying and, and just everything in life feels like it's falling apart right now. You're suffering with mental health challenges. You've got sickness in your body. I want to tell you through this story, Jesus knows, he cares, and he is able to bring transformation, healing, and freedom in your life. He really can. We're not just well-wishing when we're praying for one another. When Callum's saying, come on, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for Frank right now and all that's going on for him in hospital right now. We're not just hoping, God, would you make him better. We're crying out to the one who is able to set free this guy in Scripture so that he's clothed and in his right mind, sat at the feet of Jesus himself, wanting to walk with Jesus from here on out. Jesus brings transformation into lives, families, individuals, communities, nations, into the whole of the cosmos. And so this story is a bit like um, ogres in that it has many layers. Um, and I just want to, there's a, there's a kind of a story about the nation of Israel layered into this story. It tells a story about Israel and who they are. And this guy in some ways represents the nation of Israel and their need for God to set them free. It tells a story of an individual, a guy who, as I've said, is bound and broken. And it tells a story of you and I also, that we, just like this guy, are in desperate need of redemption and setting free. This, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but where there are challenges of mental health, poverty, disability, sickness, suffering, those are, those are visible pictures of what we are all like as people. We're all broken. We're all in desperate need of redemption and saving. And we do everything we can with money and holidays and homes and friendships and marriage and family. Good things. I'm not saying they're, they're bad things, but we do everything we can with these things to try and say, look, I'm all right. I'm not naked. I'm not sat among the tombs. I'm not a bit crazy here, a bit crazy there. We do everything we can to try and put on this show before one another and before God at times to say, I'm okay, God, I don't need you. Hey, look, I've got my life together. But this story tells us we are all desperately in need of an encounter with Jesus to set us free and to bring salvation. And so this guy has sat, well, in fact, day after day, he's just sat among the tombs, cut off from community. In fact, the community try and bind him because they're so fearful of this guy. And as Jesus arrives on the shore, this guy comes out to Jesus. This guy sees Jesus. And Jesus changes everything in this man's life. The demons flee. And as powerful as they are over this man, and we see that, don't they? Because when they have this moment with Jesus of trying to, uh, of trying to say, don't just send us into the abyss, into, into hell, send us into the pigs instead. In that moment, we see that they, that they drive the pigs over the edge of the cliff and into the sea. These, these demons are powerful. They're more powerful than this guy. They're more powerful than you and I, but they are nothing in comparison 
to the power of Jesus. And in this scripture, we see three times that they beg, they, they beg Jesus, don't send us into hell, but instead send us here. And we see that even the spiritual forces of wickedness, of evil, have no power, no authority, no sovereignty in comparison to that of Jesus Christ. He is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over every situation, every circumstance. Let me say this really clearly. There is no one and no situation that is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ and the hope of his gospel and the power of his kingdom and his lordship and his compassion to reach out, to save, rescue, clothe, and bring to the right mind. Nobody is beyond the pale when it comes to Jesus Christ. Nobody is beyond the power of the kingdom. And I want to encourage you, therefore, that every instance that you have with family and friends who don't know Jesus, whether they think life's together or not, every situation, every, sorry, every relationship, every, every situation that your friends are in, every opportunity to, to display the power of God, you get to do that. You get to say you're not beyond. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying say it like this, but you get to know in your mind this person is not beyond the power of Jesus Christ, not beyond his compassion, not beyond the reach, not beyond his love and mercy towards them. And you get to know that. I think this guy was chained up, hidden away from the community, and they, everybody said there's nothing that can be done for him. I was watching just a while back a, a, a series on I think, is it, uh, I can't remember which prison it is. Um, doesn't matter, but one of the high security prisons in this country. And the refrain that came over and over again was that there is nothing that can be done for these guys. They're the worst of the worst. There is nothing, no hope. And so they're sent here to die. And for most of them, it just takes a very long time. That was a refrain that was said over and over again. And as I heard this refrain, in my, in, my, in my heart and in my mind, I'm like, no, they are not beyond the pale. Jesus is able to save and rescue and forgive and set free. He really is. There is nobody in society that Jesus is not able to go towards. You know, I don't just think that boat happened to land on that beach where the demonic oppressed guy was. If, there's a, if Jesus is able to command um, seas and wind and set people free from demonic oppression and raise the dead, he can certainly intentionally find the person that he's seeking. So Jesus changes everything. I'm not going to go into what it looks like at a national level with Israel, but suffice to say that pigs for Jewish people are kind of like the unclean of unclean. They're like the picture of what it means to be unclean. And so that's, there's a whole story there that we just don't have time to go into. But throughout scripture, pigs represent you and I if you're a Gentile. Did you know that? Pigs represent us in the Bible. We might not like that image, but we are unclean. If you're not here, if you're here and you're not Jewish before Jesus came, and bought the new covenant, you were outside the covenant people of God. You were a Gentile. You were without hope. You were without the peace and the promises of God Almighty in your life and in your community. And here these pigs represent you and I as Gentiles far from God, unclean, cut off from God, destined to go over 
the edge of the cliff and into the abyss. And we, like this guy, we, like this guy, also need Jesus and his compassion in our life. We need Jesus to come and bring deliverance into our life. You see, this is not just a story about an individual guy. It is a story about a nation, which I'm sorry I don't have time to go into. But it's also a story about a cosmic, global um, God who is here to transform the whole world. Yes, individuals. Yes, you and I, but bring transformation into the whole of the world. And boy, does our world tell the story right now, we need an encounter with Jesus. The world is crying out like this guy, we need to encounter Jesus. It doesn't know that's a story. It's, it doesn't know that's what it's saying right now. But in every situation, every circumstance we see on the news at the moment in particular, well, as much as ever, it's saying we need to encounter the one who sets free. We need, to, we need a king who will come and establish his kingdom and his rule and his authority over demonic forces, over, over the evil that's not just out there, but in it, within each one of us. We need a king who has compassion to set free. Whatever you or I think about ourselves, this guy we're reading, he literally embodies what the Bible says, you and I are outside of Christ spiritually. That we are demonized. We're naked, in darkness, bound, fearful. So outside of Christ, who Timothy says this, we are captured by the devil. Ephesians 2, you are dead in your sins. Revelation 3, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In Hebrews 2, we are slaves to fear. And so this guy in the gospel, this guy who encountered Jesus and just that radical transformation of just being clothed, sat at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. We too need that transformation. Without Christ, we are those things I've just read. We're in desperate need of deliverance. But this man is also that visible, physical, spiritual display, picture of who you and I are when we come to encounter and know Jesus Christ. And so what he shows us is what takes place in our lives and what is an ongoing process. I want to remind you of that, that being a follower of Jesus is an ongoing process. The Bible calls it sanctification. We're made to become like Jesus one step after another for our whole lives until we see him face to face. And in an instant, we'll be changed and become like him. But we are, we are we as Christians right now, we are Jesus is calling us on. The Holy Spirit is, is propelling us on. We should be encouraging one another to say, come on, walk with Jesus. Be like him. Walk with the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit and he'll bring transformation because you've encountered Jesus. And so Jesus, when he comes to you, he, he doesn't just say, what's your name like he did to this guy? He says, I know your name. I know you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he calls you by your name. 
And then he commands the spiritual forces of evil, Satan, demonic forces, oppression, to come out. To come out. He says, come out of her, come out of him. It's what he did for the guys, what he does for you and I. And we watch the spiritual forces of darkness flee from God's people. And so when we have baptism, it's a picture, isn't it? It's a picture of the spiritual forces being drowned in the abyss. Hey, I'm no longer a slave to Satan, sin and death and sickness, but I belong to Christ. I've been set free from those things. I've met Jesus and he's set me free. He set me free with his love and compassion. Our nakedness and our shame are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We too were sat naked. In the doorway of death, we were sat naked, full of guilt and shame. And Jesus has clothed us with his righteousness himself. Our dwelling place changes from a tomb and death, spiritually dead people. It changes to now we are a temple dwelling with God most high, who who is with us by his spirit. Our address has changed from outside of the purposes and the covenant promises of God to an inheritor of the kingdom of God. No longer just a citizen of earth, but a citizen of heaven here on earth for God's kingdom business. We're now no longer slaves to fear. This guy, I just, I picture him and I just think the fear, the, the torment that was in his mind. I'm not just saying, please hear my heart on this. I'm not saying every mental uh, health challenge and, and sickness is demonically oppressed. And every physical uh, sickness is a demonic oppression. I'm not saying that, but boy, do I think there is more going on in this world than we, than we often say. In, as Jesus, through the Gospels, he was regularly setting people free. We're told one of the main pieces of ministry he did was setting people free from unclean spirits, from demonic oppression and possession. And that, I'm not saying that to say we should go looking for it, but I'm saying there are things at work in this world, spiritual forces of evil, evil that the Bible is saying, be very aware of these things. Be very aware of them. Don't just be so busy living life and, and just having, trying to make life nice that you kind of forget there's a spiritual reality and a war that's taking place. So we're no, no longer slaves to fear because, because we have the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Our friends, when we become a follower of Jesus, notice there's something that's changed in our life. How often do you hear that? As somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, there's something different about you. Yeah, yeah, I've become a follower of Jesus. And people spot Christ in you. I remember when I had my first job, um, when Emma and I got married, and, and I, used to, I used to have a foul mouth. I had no control over it whatsoever. I, I, out of all my friends, I swore more than anybody else I knew. And then one day, Jesus set me free. And I remember, I remember then a few years later when I got my first job, and, and that was one of the things that the guys that I was working with in a factory... Um, he used to say about me, they used to say, why, why do you not swear? And I sometimes kind of said, well, you know, because I 
don't particularly like swearing. And other times, depending on how well I knew the person, I'd say, actually, it's something God set me free from, which shut them up really quickly. But that's another story. But Jesus sets us free. And friends notice a transformation. But I want to push that a bit further for us right now. I wonder if we have ongoing transformation in our lives. If there are still areas of life where we say, Jesus, I really need to encounter you in this area of life. Not just to make life better, but because your kingdom is a kingdom that comes and transforms every area of life. I wonder if there are areas in your life where you need to encounter Jesus afresh. And then, just like this guy, after encountering Jesus and his love and his mercy and his power in our life, we say, Jesus, I want to travel with you. I want to go with you. And where you walk, I want to walk. And where you lie down, I want to lie down. And what you do, I want to learn to do that. And I want to go and tell other people about what you've done for me. And Jesus says to us, doesn't he? He says, go, return to your home and tell everyone what I, the Lord, have done for you. And so what this story of this guy really is like our story in that sense. And we too encounter Jesus. We too encounter his grace and his mercy. And so can I invite you to stand? I'm going to, I want to pray for us right now just as we finish.